Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to Encounter Church. Uh, as Dylan mentioned uh, just a moment ago, um, we, uh, we have fall launch coming up here on September 11, and at the door at Fulton Heights and here at Kenwood, uh, you received one of these cards. And I, I want to point this out, and I want to share this with all grace and humility that I can muster. You guys, this card isn't for you necessarily, right? Like this card is meant for the one person in your life who needs to hear about the love and the grace and the power of Jesus. Uh, your friend, your neighbor, your coworker, this card is a voucher for one of the free, uh, for a free meal at one of the many food trucks that we have coming uh, to both of our locations in two weeks for fall launch. And uh, this is like a, a silly excuse for you to walk across the street or maybe the job site and to... Uh, and to extend an invitation to someone and say, hey, listen, my church is throwing this awesome party. We would love for you to be there. So the card isn't necessarily for you. The card is for your want to experience Jesus for the first time or for the first time in a while. We're in a series right now called Wild. It's part three. And if you're just joining us, the idea behind this series is that the life of following after Jesus isn't meant to be tame. It isn't meant to be subdued. The life of following Jesus is intended to be wild. It's meant to be absurd at times, outrageous we'll see this morning, even miraculous as we're going to see next week. We kicked this thing off in part one two weeks ago in part one and we talked, uh, we talked about burning plows. Uh, part two, last week we talked about digging ditches. Uh, today we're going to grab some jars. Next week for the conclusion and the grand finale we're going to take a bath together which is something you're not going to want to miss. And just as as that comes out of my mouth right now, it's not literally. We're just going to read a story about taking a bath. More on that next week. Don't, don't miss it. Keep your clothes on. Uh, part three, today. Today we're talking about grabbing charts. I think it would be helpful for us uh, as a community. I think it would be helpful for you as an individual. As we hear this story that God is going to share with us today, uh, to ask yourself the question, where am I running low? Like, where, where am I... <laughs> If I'm not at my wit's end, if I'm not at my desperation or my breaking point, like where am I pouring out in life and I'm, and I'm starting to realize that I don't have a lot, to, a lot more to pour out? I've been at this game long enough to start to realize uh, that at any given time, at any season, any one of us, we are this wild, we're this bizarre mix of extreme wealth and extreme poverty. Like at the same time, it just depends which category. It, it just depends like which jar we're looking at. So sometimes we're in life and we're like, hey, listen, I just got my student loans forgiven. I have like wealth. I've got, I've got things together. Maybe for the first time ever. I have a job. I've got a career path. Like, like financially, I actually like kind of, kind of know what I'm doing. Relationally. I don't have friends. The People in my life that I do have, the word that I would use to describe that is shallow, vapid. At any given time, I think the majority of us, what we experience is wealth in one area and poverty in another. And today is a time that we have set aside not to look at what to do with the extreme wealth that we have in our life, but a time when we ask God what we ought to do with the poverty that we have in our own life. Poverty of relationships, poverty of time, poverty of energy, maybe poverty of faith, poverty of hope. <laughs> I'll, I'll go first. 
I think about some of the areas in my life when I'm running low. This is a season, I think some of you can relate. This is a season where I start to understand just how little time I have. My wife and I, we've got this beautiful color-coded calendar system. I mean, it's intricate and it's beautiful, right? It's all digital. It's Google, Google calendars and we share them with each other so that we know kind of where the other person is and if they can help kind of shuttle the kids around and and technology is a beautiful thing, but like you open up the calendar app and it's like all the colors. We've got a color for my work schedule, for her work schedule, for our family schedule, for soccer, for cross country, for speech classes, for school stuff. I mean, it's beautiful. It's colorful and it's beautiful. It really is. But I'm looking at it and I'm not making this up. Last week, I'd have a heart to heart, an eyeball to eyeball with my wife and say, honey, I love you, but I'm deleting your work calendar because it stresses me right out. Like, I can't open it up, and I can't, I can't see all of that in addition to everything else. I'm looking at it, and today I'm like, listen, I know. I know where it is that I'm pouring out, and I'm running on low. I'm running low on time. Some of you are going to get your, your course syllabus, syllabi, the, the plural, I think, for that one. Like, tomorrow, you know? You, oh, boy, God bless you, you know? I, I didn't realize, I didn't realize that... Uh, till far too into my collegiate career that like on the syllabus it, it actually means something it's like all of your assignments all of the readings all of the papers all of the project midterms final exams everything is like right there I was like a sophomore in college before I realized like this thing is super important so a little insight into into my life uh, you're welcome for that little bit but some of you are going to get that magic piece of paper or that magic booklet and it's like this is my life for the next 12 weeks And you'll experience what I call all at once, where it's all of the stress of the semester, all of the stress of life. If you're a teacher, you are not exempt from this. And you're like, these are all the assignments, all of the grading, all of the exams, everything. And it's like heaped up onto this exact moment. And you're like pouring out and going, oh no, I can't handle this. I am running out. Running out of energy, running out of sanity. Where is it that you're full? No, no, no. Where is it that you're running out? running low. I mean, at an encounter, we talk a lot about somebody's first Sunday. You know, that the first time that they come to church to experience Jesus or the first time in a long time. I love having those conversations. We talk about what they're going to experience when they come in, a friendly person at the, at the door, the aroma of coffee filling the lobby, if you're not a coffee person and you don't like that smell, like this church might not be for you. That's okay. <laughs> like there's a lot of good ones out there. This is a coffee and Jesus one. Jesus and coffee in that order. We'll, we'll go with that. Right? We talk a lot about somebody's first time here. We talk less about somebody's last time. When you just are so desperate to experience some kind of movement of God, some kind of almighty in your life, and you've been going through the motions and you've been trying Maybe half-heartedly, I don't know, but you've been trying, you've been at it. And like this is the morning, this is your last morning. Every Sunday, I'm convicted, it's somebody's last morning. Where it's like, God, I'm giving you one more shot, I need you to show up, I need you to teach me something, show me something. Maybe it's a one. Show me someone, bring someone into my life to, to remind me that I'm not going through this alone. It's my last ditch, Hail Mary effort, this is it, God. It's not my first Sunday, it's my last Sunday. You're running out of faith. Where are you running full? No, no, no. Where are you running on empty? What are you running out 
of. And it's there in that moment that we're going to pick up the story. We're phone friendly. You can follow along on your app. The words are going to be on the screen too. We're going to go to 2 Kings chapter 4. You might remember last week we did 2 Kings chapter 3. We're not going to do like the whole Bible this way. We are going to move around a little bit more, but this is a little bit chapter by chapter. I point that out because I love that Elisha, the prophet of God in the Old Testament, last week it was about uh, him uh, ministering, him serving these three kings with their armies and their animals in the middle of the desert. It's like kings, right? It, it's, he, he's, he's bumping, he's run, running shoulder to shoulder w- with the heavyweights, with the decision maker, with the guys on top, kings. We're going to see him a chapter later in the very next story, and he's rubbing shoulders with a widow. This poor little old widow. I don't actually know if she's old. I don't actually know if she's little. She's probably not either of those things, but she is a widow. And, and we're going to see, I love that part of it, because that's church, isn't it? Like, this is some of the best parts about church. It's like, where else do you get people at, like, the top of the tax bracket along with people who, like, didn't file a return because they didn't have anything to file last year or the year before? And it's so cool when people like that come together. Super off topic, but it's just, I think it's kind of cool that God does that still today. Anyway, we're in 2 Kings uh, chapter 4, and this is, this is the setup. This is the story. It's that the wife, the wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha. Your servant, my husband, is dead. And you know that he revered the Lord. And now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. There's a couple things going on right now. I'd just like us to stretch our our empathy for this this woman and and the place of life that she's in. Any, any fans of Dave Ramsey could tell you of the little proverb he likes to mention is that the borrower is slave to the lender. Uh, today, most of the time we intend it as figurative. It was literal. That guy's a prophet in Israel where it's illegal to be a prophet. He didn't make it great financial living, but he was, he was clear in what he did. He was convicted in what he did. I don't know what he's got to do to make ends meet. Does he... He goes to the market, he gets some seeds, he's going to keep a little field, he's going to grow something to feed his family, to provide some needs, grow a little extra to sell off what you, what you can't eat yourself. You know, and that, that's what he's going to buy, what he can't make or grow. Maybe he borrows a little money to get the down payment on the seed. There's an accident on the farm, he doesn't make it. There's nobody to turn those seeds into crops. And now there's a, there's a creditor coming and saying, see, the issue here is because you can't pay the debt, we get to take your time. And I'm not interested in you, widow. She's probably around 30, so she's not, she's not old. But the issue here is she's got little boys that can't really do much. They couldn't turn those seeds into crops. So now the guy's like, listen, we'll, we'll, we'll find some, some work suitable. And so he's about to take them, those two boys, and to put them into service. Now, there was, there was an Old Testament uh, provision that accounted for this. Knowing this is the reality, God, out of his extreme generosity, builds into their financial system a fail-safe to make sure that this sort of system doesn't get perpetuated generation after generation. It's called a year of jubilee. Every seven years, the slate gets wiped clean. Every seven years, the debts get canceled. Every seven years, if you had to sell off some land, you would get it back. You would get to start over again. 
If somebody were to come and to take those kids, those boys, into slavery, maybe they're halfway through until the next jubilee. Four years, three years, two, one. I don't know what it is. A little time, it's like, okay, and then, and then they get to come home. But the problem, the problem is we don't see any evidence of the people actually taking the year of jubilee. God builds this into, but it's like one of those instructions that we conveniently get for, forget. Like, like when, is the, when is the year supposed? I think that might be next year. I think it might be next year. And the land doesn't ever seem to have been given back. The debts don't actually seem to have been wiped clean. This guy's coming for these two boys, and she's going, listen, I'm a, I'm a 30-something widow, and they're going to take my boys, and I'm never going to see them Again, so the first thing is, this is, uh, this, is, this is something that's literally happening. The second thing is, to whom the anger is directed in our storytelling. I've been mad at creditors before. I've been, I've been mad at somebody who, somebody who charges the wrong amount on my card, so I have to call and correct that situation and I get all worked up about it. No, no, no. She's not angry at the creditor. She's angry at Elisha. She's angry at God. Hear that again? Your servant, Elisha, my husband, is dead. You know that he revered the Lord. You know that he was working for God, you know that he did everything right. And this is our life now. There's a, there's a hint of lament in her cry. Elisha knows, Elisha experiences the responsibility of the moment in verse two. He replied to her, how, how can I help you? See, she thinks he's about to get out his, his checkbook. But remember, like, even the top prophet didn't really make a pretty good wage, so he doesn't have a big checkbook to get out. How can I help you? Tell me, what, what do you have in your house? Let's say I go into your house, and it's probably modest. It's probably humble. There's four walls, maybe not much more. When we walk into your home, woman, like, well, what's going to be in there? And she said, your servant has nothing at all. Nothing? You've got nothing at all? You're telling me we walk into your little humble house, there's four walls, a door, maybe, maybe just an opening, but you're telling me we walk into the house and there's going to be nothing in there at all? Except a small jar of olive oil. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I, I, mean, I, I, do, I do have this one thing. Uh, I have nothing at all except for this. I, I, do, have, I do have something. Does that strike anybody as just remarkably relatable? Uh, strength finders, top of the strength finders thing is positivity for me. Like I just, I need to interact with something good, something positive that's going on before we get into all the junk. I have friends, I'm not a counselor. I, I've got a psychology degree in undergrad. I took a couple classes just enough to know what I don't know and to like make a referral. People come in, friends, hey listen, this is going on and this is going on and it's just like, dude, I need something positive. And it's like, I got lady problems, I got work problems, Netflix is canceling my favorite show. I mean, every Everything is bad all the time. I'm looking, I'm going, I just need like one thing. Is one thing going okay in your life? And he goes, let me, let me think about it. 
No, nothing is going good at all. I'm like, come on, the feet that you walked in here on, right? The, the voice, the air that you're breathing out to complain about the plight of the life that you're in is nothing going good in your life at all? Nothing at all, not even those things. Like, give me a break. That, that's what we do, though, isn't it? When things start to go bad... We start to focus, we start to put all of our attention, not on what we have, but everything, all of our attention goes on what we don't have. Maybe it's time to stop waiting for what you want and start working with what you have. There's oil in the cabinet. There's oil in the cabinet. There's oil in your cabinet. There's something that God has given you. And, and, and when we get discouraged and when we see those setbacks, when we start to run low, the only thing that we can think of is what we don't have. Oil was used for all kinds of things uh, back then. It was, it was second only to money. Oil was used for cooking. Oil was used for lamps and fuels. Oil was used for moisturizer, which is kind of fun. You know, if you're trying to save some money, that stuff can be expensive. Uh, <laughs> My wife bought this like special cream. I'm going to get in so much trouble, but she's not here, so I can preach the full counsel of God. 1045 is not getting this. She got this like, like eye cream, right, for, for wrinkles and stuff, and it's like this tiny, tiny, like half ounce, half ounce bottle, and I forget how much what is it. It was ridiculous, like a half ounce. So what I like to do is I like to convert everything to like dollars per pound, right? So I like add up how many, I'm like, this is like a $1,600 per pound, and she's like, it's like a half an ounce. It's 20 bucks. I'm like, don't, don't check the math on that one at all, but it's like, come on, the moisturizer. Olive oil. Just go ahead and use oil. You got a little in the cabinet already, right? Let, let's save some bucks. Anyway, it was used for leather. It was used for iron to keep from rusting. It was used as an offering. It was used to anoint prophets, priests, and kings. There's oil. There's oil in the cabinet, and it's just a little bit. It's just a little bit. But God specializes, doesn't he? That God specializes in doing a lot with just a little bit. It was the little kid who brings a little lunch to Jesus. I got five dinner rolls and two fish sticks. I just got a little, Jesus, but maybe, maybe in your hands a little becomes a lot. And Jesus feeds the multitudes. He does a lot. He specializes in doing a lot with just a little bit. It was a little shepherd boy that picks up a little stone to slay the great big giant Goliath, the Philistine, and win the victory of the day. God specializes with doing a lot with just a little bit. Some of you are like looking at the area in your life where you're starting to run low. And like me, you're looking at the calendar and you're going, I don't have time. It doesn't make sense. And when Joshua was fighting the battle and he's running out of time, God hangs the, the, the sun in the sky for a little bit more time. He specializes in doing a great deal with just a little bit. He goes, listen, you're running out of faith, but it doesn't matter what you it doesn't matter the size of the faith you have. It's the object of your faith, not the size of your faith. So if you've got like mustard seed size faith, if you've got tiny faith, when your tiny faith last week intersects with my ocean of faithfulness, like stand back. God specializes in doing a great deal with just a little bit. Stop waiting for what you want and start working with what you have. Verse three. Verse three, Elisha said, go around. I love this part. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors 
for empty jars. So she starts getting them, right? Knocks on the door. Hey, do you have a, do you have a jar available? It doesn't matter what size. It doesn't matter what color it is. Can I, can, I get, can I get an empty jar from you? And it's like, I know two things about you, lady. I know that you're a widow, and I know that you're broke because the creditors also came to me. And I know that if I give you my good jars, I'm probably never going to see them again, right? <laughs> they know that. So, so they don't give her their good jars. Uh, they give her, like, the leftover jars, like I have in my house because of my northern European heritage. Uh, <laughs> I will save like every jar. This one's a Costco size M&M, peanut M&M jar, and I'm not proud of that one. But it was, it was available, so here I am. Church isn't open in an honest space. Um, you, guys play, uh, you guys play like snack time roulette in your house? Where you like, you use the jars like over and over, and then uh, like they're opaque, you can't see what's inside of them. And I'm like, oh, spinach dip. I got my chips, right? I got my pita crackers. I'm going to... I'm going, to die. I'm going to destroy this thing. And I open it up. It's like leftover green beans. That was disappointing. <laughs> so these neighbors are gathering around and they're like, uh, maybe, maybe I can find a jar. And Alesha is still giving her instructions. Um, actually, uh, caveat, he goes, don't ask for just a few. The lady's like, correction, uh, can I have all of your jars? Like everything. This is awkward. You know, I think about why, why Elisha demanded that. Ask for all of the jars. I mean, if you're going to do a miracle, you could do a miracle with three jars instead of ten jars. Why all the jars from all the neighbors? I think it's in the awkwardness. It, it, it's, it's like God is stretching her, is stretching her faith. God is, is asking her to commit herself to ridiculous, to outrageous provision. Like, like I need to know that you're full on into this thing. So I'm going to ask you to cash in everything that you have. You've got a little oil. You've got a ton of social capital. You've got neighbors that you've cultivated relationships with. I'm going to ask you to place yourself in the awkward situation of committing yourself full on to outrageous provision. He's teaching her through the committing, through the outrageous provision. He's committing. He's teaching her that when you depend on God, you find out how dependable God is. Isn't it true sometimes that we haven't really learned how dependable God can be because we have engineered and manufactured and planned out our lives in a way that doesn't involve him. Like, like we found a way to spend our time and spend our money uh, and spend our influence, our resources in such a way that we don't really like, like need him to show up in our lives. And then we kind of go through and at some point we have this conversation and this awakening and we're like, you know what? God isn't like all that real anymore in my life. He, he was a person and he was a companion. He was my Lord. And now he kind of reverted back to just an idea. It's because I haven't depended on him. When you find out, when you depend on God, you find out how dependable God really is. I think we do this with temptation. We can. When temptation comes up, and it feels like it's on us to make ourselves happy. It feels like it's on us to fulfill our own longings. God is holding out on me. And so if I'm going to get ahead, I'm going to cut the corner. 
I'm going to do this for myself. In that moment of temptation, I would love nothing more than for you to recall this Elisha widow moment. When I depend on God, I find out how dependable he is. I don't need to cut the corner. I trust the outrageous provision of my maker. We do this with trying to justify ourselves at work, I think at home. (laughs) Why didn't you do the thing? No, 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 I have reasons. I have good reasons why I didn't get to it in the way that I should in the time that I should. I'm justifying myself. Jesus, you have justified me far more than I could have ever asked or imagined. I don't need to justify myself to other people. I don't need to demand the credit. I don't need to inject myself. When you depend on God, you find out how dependable he really is. Verse 5. She left him, Elisha, and she shut the door behind her and her sons, and they brought the jars to her. One of these is olive oil. That was convenient. And she kept pouring. She starts pouring it out. It was just a tiny little bit of oil. But as she pours, it doesn't stop. You know, and I think she's pouring and it doesn't break stream. They, they, they swap out a new jar and a new jar and a new jar. They make sure it all goes in a jar and she can't see it. It's, it, it, just, it just doesn't end. And you know, church, she's pouring it out and she's not pouring oil. She's pouring hope. She's pouring time with her boys. She, she's pouring freedom for her family. She, she's pouring out faith and she just kept Pouring over and over again. I think at first she pours with, with, with like shaky hands. I think she keeps on pouring through the tears. First they're tears of pity for her own self and her own plight in life. But, but then as time goes on, she's pouring through the tears of celebration and for joy because it's just not running out. And she gets to just keep pouring. And when the jars were full, verse 6, she said to her son, bring me another one. There's not a jar left. It's interesting that there's just enough for every one of the jars and not a bit extra. That full is full, whatever the capacity is. Then the oil stopped flowing. And she went and she told the man of God, and he said, go, sell the oil, pay your debts, and you and your sons can live. And I just I wanted to underline that one. You guys can live. Live on what's left, but, but, but like, this isn't like a financial life. This is a livelihood. This is a life life. You guys can live. It's a beautiful story of absolute outrageous provision. You know, stop waiting for what you want. Start working with what you have. You've got a little oil. It's a, it's a, it's a cool thing. Like, oil is used for a lot of things. One thing that we didn't get to is oil was used uh, to anoint those prophet, priests, and kings. Oil represented the spirit of God. Oil represented God's presence in a unique way, on somebody's life. 
That's Old Testament and New Testament. God says, listen, you don't need oil. That was just a sign. The reality is you have the Holy Spirit. You have God dwelling inside of you. Stop waiting for what you want. Start working with what you have. The oil of the presence of God is with you. So like, let's get on and let's make a difference in this world. Depend on him. Lean on him. Lean on that. Plan on. Bank on that outrageous provision of God because it's when you depend on him that you find out just how dependable he is. I mean, that's good. But church, there's a catch on this entire thing, on this entire operation. You heard it. The jars that they gathered, they had to be empty. See, that's where, we, that's where we fail. Because if you are like me, you will try to fill this yourself. I try to fill that with my resources, financial and otherwise, thinking that's the solution. I try to fill it with ministry. I try to fill it with leadership acumen, whatever little bit I have. I try to fill it with influence. I try to roll up my sleeves. I try to fill it with my own hard work. God, I have something to offer you. But the catch, the caveat of the entire story is that God only fills an empty bucket. So when we go to him, we come empty. That means that we got to pour something out. That means that some of us are going to have to this week pour out our pride. Some of us this week are going to have to have to pour out our own agenda. Some of us this week are going to have to have to pour out that that grudge that we've been hanging on to for far too long. When we go to God, we gotta go empty. And the promise of God is that He'll fill us. He will form us and he will fill us with his grace. And it's so much more special and it's so much more beautiful than we could have ever asked or imagined. What do you got to pour out in order to receive? 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7 says that we keep this treasure, this story, this gospel hope in jars of clay. That's us. A poor old jar of clay formed out of the mud on the ground and we'll go back into that mud on the ground soon enough. But with the little time that we have, we get to hold the greatest treasure, the greatest story ever told. Isn't it worth emptying ourselves for that? To recognize that once we pour ourselves out. We recognize that, man, we're so weak, but he is our strength. That we are so hurting, but he is our comforter. We are so lost, but he is our guide. We're so hungry, and he is the bread of life that feeds us at his table. We are so thirsty, and he is the living water. Our lives are so unstable, but he is the rock the solid foundation in which our lives get built. We got a lot when we got a little. God specializes in doing a lot with just a little bit. 
Let's depend on him this week. I want to invite you to stand up, and we're going to pray together. Jesus, we come to you today, and you're our Lord, and you're our King. You're our Savior. And in these hallowed moments, we recognize in a special way that you are also our provider. That you have been outrageously providing for us our whole lives. And if we have anything to offer you, it's our lives poured out and empty. Lord, and we courageously follow you because Jesus, you went first in pouring out your life. So God, we pray and we sing that whatever we have in our cup filled by you is enough because you are more than enough. Amen. Hey, church. It's our sincere prayer that this message was able to help you find new life in Christ. And if you did find it helpful, would you consider donating to help drive this ministry forward? And don't forget, there's no substitute for doing life together. So find a worship experience, join a small group, or a serving team today. You can do all this at EncounterChurch.org.